Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Everyone's got their thing. Hey, fanatics, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed Thursday's episode featuring Peter Michael Dowd and his fanaticism for Led Zeppelin Live bootlegs. Today, we got Peter here to talk about his film, Mr. Jimmy. Yeah. And we also have Jake. Imagine that. I'm here. I made it, and I'm excited to talk to Peter. Uh, As you guys know from the last episode, he's awesome, but we really get to dive deep into the story of Mr. Jimmy and the craziness that Peter had to deal with to get the rights to Led Zeppelin's music. So get excited because this is a really cool, maybe my favorite mini show that we've done yet, Claire. Sounds good. All right. Give a listen with Peter Michael Dowd. All right, Peter Michael Dowd. We know you're a big Led Zeppelin live fan, but how did your passion for Led Zeppelin lead to you meeting Mr. Jimmy? Yeah, it was uh, some ways a straight shot. I uh, came across a clip of him on YouTube and it was just labeled Rain Song 1979 version. And as a lover of Led Zeppelin's live legacy, I instantly thought, oh, they must mean Nebworth, August 4th or August 11th. They did two shows, 1979. Wow. Okay. Press play. And instantly I recognized the outfit, which was... Uh, really unique for Jimmy Page. I mean, he's known for all these flamboyant dragon suits, but this was really 1979. Now New Wave had come in to the fore, and it was a different Zeppelin look on the precipice of the 1980s. So you've got blue button-down shirt, white linen pants, black loafers, every detail of the costume of Jimmy Page's outfit from 1979. And again, I just thought he's tracked down the outfit, but he's also tracked down the one of Page's more obscure, somehow less cool, uh, pardon me, less flamboyant looks. Okay. And then it said 1970 version. I click on that. Jimmy Page had a beard in 1970. All of a sudden, Akio has a fake beard. <laughs> and he's containing it. You know, Jimmy Page in 1970 was a little bit more introverted on the stage. So he's kind of containing his body a little bit more. Then it said 1977 version. Mr. Page had a white dragon suit in 1977. Now Akio's in a white dragon suit, and they were playing huge stadiums, so all his gestures are as if he's in the Pontiac Silverdome. Big gestures and moving around wildly, and he's got these cool dark shades on. And I'm like, holy shit. And most importantly, I listened to the plane, and it was just bang on to what Mr. Page was doing in that particular 
concert that he is replicating. And I was like, wow, this is a virtuoso musician himself. This is a method actor. And this is a musical historian like in one. And I think your best decisions in life often are when you're just not thinking. I've never been to Japan. I don't know anything. His website's all in Japanese. I have to find this guy. And I just started typing and sent an email to his website and just said, I don't know what your story is, but I think it might be pretty great. And I might be the right guy to tell it because I recognize all of these details. And his wife wrote back and just said, you must be a pretty lucky guy because Akio has just moved to LA to join Led Zepp again. And I was like, this is like a sign. So at that point, it was full on. I had to make the film. That is awesome. Okay. We're going to jump around a little bit because one of the most incredible stories is when you guys were premiering at South by Southwest and you were missing something major until about five minutes before the film. I mean, this is a film based on music, on Led Zeppelin's music, except all of a sudden, you know, spoiler, you didn't have the rights. So what happened? What is going on at this world premiere? Uh, I was trying not to have a stroke. Um, (laughs) It was like... (laughs) Kind of the greatest night of my life, but it was also the feeling of like, oh, this is the greatest night of my life, but at any moment I may be executed. I don't know. We had submitted this request to the record company who laughed and said, uh, oh, you seem like such a nice uh, man, but this is somewhat absurd and we suggest that you use alternate songs. We'll present these to the artist, but they're Led Zeppelin. They're They're highly unlikely to approve all these songs in your movie. And I said, alternate songs, how would I do that? The film is uh, all about that. So yeah, the week before the film, I hadn't heard anything from the record company. My lawyer advised me to pull out of the festival. (laughs) The record company called to clarify ever so politely that while they hadn't given me an answer, they wanted to be clear that until the answer was yes, the answer was no. So I was like, okay. Uh, And then the lawyer called me back and said, do you understand what they're saying? I said, oh, I think so. And they said, uh, well, we have to do our due diligence and let you know how fucked you could be right now. But we ourselves are not fully schooled in how fucked you can be. So we have another lawyer on the line. who They they really know how (laughs) fucked you're going to be. And so this other lawyer starts telling me how fucked I'm going to be. And they're like, so what are you going to do? Do you want to pull out? And I was like, I've been working on this thing for years. This is the greatest opportunity in my life, the best piece of work I've ever done. No. Yeah. And everyone was like, you're completely mental. Meanwhile, my sound mixer, who's a complete genius, is such a genius that he managed to throw the whole movie out of sync three days before the premiere. So I had pulled, I think, six all-nighters in a row, resyncing the movie by eye. I'm transporting a hard drive with the movie under my arm, on a plane, straight to the screening in Texas to show a movie that I'm liable for several million dollars, apparently, of copyright violation if we go ahead with it. Of course, my phone dies. (laughs) I go to the premiere and uh, sold out. People love the movie. Little do I know, a certain email has arrived five minutes before the premiere, but of course, my phone had died. So someone at the premiere asked me and says, well, what'd you do about the music rights? And I go... All I can say is I haven't been sued yet. <laughs> and that moment was was true. And anyway, I'm sure every distributor in the room was like, and check, please. We're out of here. But I go back to the Airbnb after the screening. And I had such mixed emotions because people really did love the movie. It's still at that point. I just didn't know if we'd be able to ever show it again. I thought, oh, maybe this movie is just going to exist on my shelf. And every Christmas, I'll pull it out and show my grandmother on the couch and I'll cry into my turkey and that'll be it. And then I charged my phone and this email appeared that had arrived like five minutes before the screening. 
I think I've fallen to my knees and cried twice in my life. And this was the second time. Mm-hmm. And it just said, Stairway to Heaven, approved. Rock and Roll, approved. Since I've been loving you, approved. And I cried like a baby. And I just thought, holy fuck, this movie can live. All in all, it's been an eight-year journey. I am eternally grateful to Mr. Page, to Mr. Plant, to John Paul Jones, to the estate of John Bonham, because I had no right, legally, metaphorically, whatever you call it, to take their work and do anything with it. From my point of view, I was blissfully naive. From their point of view, they could have thought I was just like kind of trespassing. What am I doing filming all this stuff with their music performed by this Japanese guy? You know, But um, the fact that they then signed off on what in, in total is about 30 songs that they wrote performed by Akio. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, at this point, I'm just like so grateful. And I, I'm just like, wow, if, if people can come out, enjoy this music, I hope they immediately go buy every Led Zeppelin album ever recorded, really dig into the music. But that week before South by Southwest, mm-hmm. yeah, never have I been more on the edge of <laughs> true insanity, but it, it all worked out. It all worked out. For the people maybe listening who aren't the biggest Led Zeppelin fans, could you just talk about why people should see this movie about this man who worked for 35 years as a kimono salesman and moonlighting at night playing just Zeppelin tunes? Like, why is this Mm. movie so interesting beyond the music? Well, I don't want to sound like a car salesman or anything like that, but I will say this. Hopefully they they will dig the music because the music is a vibe. The music is pretty powerful in here. I think anytime you have somebody putting it all on the line for something, they're not doing it for the money. They're chasing a dream for 40 years. They're at the age of 50. They've had a day job their whole life. They're going to finally take a chance, quit the day job, move to America. They don't even fucking speak English. They just want to play this music in front of people. Somebody chasing their dream and giving everything they've got to it, not having a lot of money. Maybe you have to surf couches. Maybe you have to do whatever. When people chase their dream, I think people connect with that, no matter what the dream is. They might start viewing this as an eccentric story or an eccentric guy. But I think what's undeniable is that he's so pure in what he wants to do. His dream is so pure and so honest and so genuine. And he really does love this music. It's not an act. And he really does love Jimmy Page. All he wants to do is have a stage to play for. 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, it doesn't matter. I think I did an okay job in that it starts out maybe feeling a little bit exotic or curious, but then ultimately you can't deny that human thing of here's somebody chasing their dream and putting it on the line. I I think people connect with that no matter where they're from, no matter how they feel about rock and roll or whatever, hopefully they, they respect somebody chasing their dream. How did you as a filmmaker and as a director, but also as a huge Led Zeppelin fan yourself, approach making this movie. Because to me, there's almost a conflict of interest there because you're so invested in the music. And not in a way, was there a temptation to guide your hero in certain directions? Or did you have to say, okay, Peter, step back. I have to approach this like completely objectively. Or what was your tactic? When it comes to Akio, I mean, at this point, we spent eight years together. We spent a lot of time not filming together. We spent a lot of time buck naked in a Japanese hot tub. 
not to sound too weird about it, but you know, we, we've gotten to know each other for real. Mm -hmm. And of course I was like dying when like he was flailing about and lost money playing shows and he had no band and he had no manager. And I'm thinking, oh, this guy should be playing like Carnegie Hall. He's playing a fucking pizza parlor in Long Beach and can't hear the music over people clinking their glasses and ordering a pepperoni pie. I was like, this is fucking tragic, man. This guy's in his 50s. So I don't know. Was I quote unquote objective? No, I was heartbroken. Right. Same way when he got the job to play in, J spoiler alert, when he gets the gig to play in Jason Bonham's band, me, my sound guy, Jeff, camera guy, Ivan, we were out on this little boat and, with him in Sydney Harbor. And he's talking about how, man, I can't believe it, this is real. I can't believe it happened. Uh, my dad never took a plane his whole life. Wow. Now I'm in Australia playing this music with Jason Bonham. Jason Bonham's played with the real Led Zeppelin when they've had their reunion. No one has ever worked harder for a job mm -hmm. in their life. I mean, he's been working for this job for 40 years. A job that didn't even exist. He created a job. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, we all cried for him. So were we objective? No. Um, I mean, were there times where I kind of wanted to step in and say, can I have a look at that contract you're signing with that club? Because I think you're getting fucked. Kind of. Um, were there times when I wanted to say, I don't think this person knows so much about management? That, yeah. At certain points, the closer we got, the, the more that line absolutely blurred because I don't want the guy to go off a cliff completely. No, of course. But that's the interesting thing about being a filmmaker and an artist and a documentarian is being able to walk that line because you do get invested in your subject. And you were already invested in the music. So was he able to come to the South by Southwest world premiere? Yes. And to, to be honest, that was a little hairy because Mrs. Jimmy expressed a lot of concern about you know, us men, we're such wimps. Uh, we hate to appear vulnerable in any way as a man, as an American man. As a Japanese man, it might be even a little heightened. So they were really concerned about why are you showing his struggles in the United States? Mm -hmm. And I respected that, but I just said, these struggles are what are going to actually connect people to him and make them root for him. If I don't show any struggle and all you do is go around buying dragon suits and playing in front of happy people, no one's going to give a shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll be impressed with the music, but people need to understand that you, you kind of are an underdog and you went through all this. This is why they're going to root for you. Yeah, you love the music, but you went through hell to, to play the music. You sold stuff. You went without just to, to play this music. And we, we have to show that you lost money. and you sacrificed. They were not happy about that. And the first screening, we sat on opposite sides of the theater. And I was like, man, this kind of sucks. I put a lot into this movie and I don't know if they really appreciate it, but let's ride this out. And by the time the movie ended, he got a standing ovation and he got up there with his guitar and he played ah. the rain song. And everyone in the theater was crying and taking pictures and appreciating him. He turned to me and he said, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Part of me wanted to be like, yeah, now you get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, since then, you know, he's really understood. And I think he's been embraced by so many different people around the world, wherever the film is shown and stuff for like, hey, wow, you really went through all this stuff because you love the music. People respect sacrifice no matter what you're doing. And the fact that he went through so much and again, he's not doing it for the money. He's doing it for the love and he's 
he's put everything he has into this and he, he did stumble and he did fall, but then he got back up again. People respect him even more for that. And uh, it's been rewarding seeing him get that respect. For sure. And Peter, before we wrap up, could you just tell our fanatics where they could see the film? So right now we are exclusively in cinemas and I want people to see it on the big screen. We're playing all over the United States. We are opening in Australia later in September, but please go to mrjimmymovie.com. Click watch. It'll bring up every place the movie's playing. You can click on another click to buy the tickets. It's all right there. It's very easy. Please come. Please see it in a movie theater. That's the way it's meant to be seen, kind of the way you're supposed to see live music. Like, do it that way. And anybody who can talk about it, share about it, that sure goes a long way because this movie really was a handmade labor love. I love it. Well, congratulations. I'm very excited to see it. And Peter, best of luck to you with this film and uh, many more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 